Jesus tells us the parable of the sower, where you have the seed, and the seed goes out into different kinds of soil, and that soil represents the condition of our hearts. And one of the soil is rocky ground, and the seed goes in, and it takes root, it starts to to grow, but it doesn't last because the root doesn't go down deep enough to get into the nutrients. And Jesus explains it this way, that people received the word, received it with joy, there was that initial excitement, but then when there was hard times or persecution because of the word, they burned out. They, they realized, man, this isn't worth it in their understanding, in their conception. So for us, as we look at the Church of Thessalonica this morning, is they're new believers. Paul only was able to spend three weeks with them. They immediately start to go through persecution because they've made this profession of faith in Christ. They've, they've trusted the gospel. And Paul's concern is that their faith is gonna get shaken, that they're not going to believe and, and trust in the Lord. So he's writing to encourage them in their faith. He's sending Timothy to encourage them in your faith. Have you noticed that sometimes in our journey with the Lord when it costs us something because we're trying to apply the word that we can tend to give up? Like, take for instance, you're convicted on your marriage, and you read Ephesians chapter 5, and you're like, okay, I'm going to start to try to apply God's word to my marriage. Then things get harder. Like, man, this isn't working. I'm not going to do this. It seems like there's more challenge and difficulty now that I'm trying to live out the word. Now, the fruit's going to come, but it's going to take some, some endurance. So this concept of Having faith in infliction, I think, is really important, and it's, it's dear to our hearts to continue to trust God, even in the midst of difficulty. So join me in verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left alone in Athens, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Paul just couldn't stand it any longer. He had to know how the church of Thessalonica is doing. So it was better for him to be alone in Athens and send his partner, Timothy, to go and check and see how the church is doing. This shows the value of team. God loves using teams. He always sent the disciples out in twos. I'm so thankful for the team that God's put together on our pastoral staff here, for for the team that serves and, and volunteers. If Paul's alone in this, there's not much impact because he doesn't have Timothy to send. But instead, he invested in Timothy, he took time in Timothy, he, he showed Timothy the things that he had learned. Paul can't go to Thessalonica for some reason, but he's able to send Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? Well, he's a brother in Christ, he's a minister of God, which means a servant of God. Minister sounds a lot more official, minister of God. <laughs> But what does the word minister mean? It means servant. He's a servant of God. He's a partner in the gospel. He believes in the power of the gospel to go out and touch and change uh, people's lives. The purpose of Timothy's visit is to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Timothy wants to go and make sure that they're continuing to trust the gospel, that they're continuing to trust God in trial and to encourage them. God uses brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage and establish us. 
maybe those times where our faith is struggling and we spend time with another believer and we walk away and we go, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. My heart has been established. My heart has been encouraged. This is God's design. This is why God doesn't want us to be isolated from other believers, to be in relationship with believers so we can give encouragement, that we can receive encouragement, that our hearts can be established. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. So what causes them to not be shaken by affliction? It's their faith. It's their continued trust in the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down, think this through with me, is unshaken by affliction unshaken by affliction. We look back in our lives, I look back in my life, and there's certain afflictions where I would have to say I was shaken. It it caused me to, to be shaken. And then there's other times where, thankfully by God's grace, I was able to trust the Lord and really wasn't shaken too much by that affliction or difficulty. But then most of the trials in my life fit somewhere in the middle, (laughs) Where certain days I'm trusting and I'm not shaken, but other days I'm, I'm doubting and I found myself to be shaken. But there is the possibility to remain in that place of trust in the midst of trial and difficulty. That's what the church of Thessalonica is doing. Timothy's going to give a good report. And they didn't get to that place where they're shaken because of trial and difficulty. In Psalms 90, we have this promise, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's existence prior to him creating the world. God's existence prior before him speaking Pike's Peak into existence. He's God. He's everlasting to everlasting, and he's a faithful dwelling place. He's a faithful place for us to be able to go and find refuge. God has been that refuge for all generations. We think of some of the challenges that other generations have been through, and God was a faithful dwelling place. The next chapter, chapter 91, verse 2, it says, I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Can we say that this morning? He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's he's my God. And I'm going to trust in him. If you find yourself shaken by affliction, you're in good company. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He pointed everyone to Christ. He had the privilege of baptizing Jesus. As he baptized Christ, the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus like a dove, but he found himself in prison. The reason that he was in prison is because he spoke out on Herod's sexual sin. I guess God's design on sexuality has never been popular. It's interesting to me is that that's what would get John the Baptist in trouble was speaking out about how God had designed sex. If if there's one thing that's going to get you in trouble in our culture, it's talking about how God has designed sex. So just to warn you, that's what we're going to do next week in 1 Thessalonians 4. 
It's not my idea, it's God's idea. You can read ahead. Uh, could get me in trouble, but we're gonna go for it anyway, right? So here's John the Baptist in prison because he spoke out against Herod's sexual sin. And John the Baptist starts to wrestle, is Jesus the Messiah? Here's this great man of faith, great dedication to the Lord, to the point where he sends a messenger to Jesus to ask the question, are you the one or should we look for another? Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Jesus' response to John the Baptist was, blessed are those who are not offended or stumble because of me. John, I realize that my ways are not your ways. Things are not working out the way that you thought they would. You didn't anticipate being my forerunner would result in you being in prison. And isn't that the truth in our lives as well? If we don't stumble or are offended by God's working in ways in our life. What I appreciate about John the Baptist is he went to Christ with his hard questions about his suffering. I think that's important for us. Bring it to the Lord. He already knows. He's big enough to handle those questions, to wrestle through it with the Lord. I believe that John the Baptist heard the message of Jesus. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. He took it to heart, was faithful, and ultimately he was beheaded. That's not the story we would write, but that's the story that God wrote for John the Baptist. So in the midst of wrestling through suffering, it's important to bring it to the Lord. Continuing on, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this, appointed for affliction. That's difficult, isn't it? Paul writes to this church and says, you're, you're actually appointed by God for affliction, for suffering, for persecution. Christ suffered, we're going to suffer as well. We think of Job. Satan comes to God, says, the only reason Job is trusting you, following you, is because you put this hedge of protection around him. Remove your protection and Job will curse you. God gives permission to Satan to mess with Job. That trial that came into Job's life passed through God's hand. God allowed it. Job loses his kids. His kids pass away. He loses his possession. He has message after message on the same day of all of this suffering. Job's response was, the Lord has given and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Oftentimes I think of the second half of that, the Lord has taken away. But Job first focused on the fact God has given. He didn't see his finances, his possessions, his position as something that he had done. It was something that God had given to him. His kids didn't belong to him. They belonged to the Lord. So God gave this. God has the right to be able to take it away. And do we view our lives this way? God, you're the one who gave me good health. So if you take it away, you, you have the right to be able to do that. Lord, you gave me this job. 
If you take it away, you have the right to be able to do that. The suffering that God allows in our lives. So many times you hear people say, well, I can't believe in a loving God who allows trial and difficulty. If God's going to allow difficulty, if he's going to appoint us for affliction, I'm out. Consider with me why God would allow affliction. Why would he allow difficulty in our lives? God speaks to this a lot. One of the reasons is because through affliction, we have the revelation of Christ. Christ is revealed to us through affliction. Think back on hard times in your life. You've probably come to know Christ in a greater way through that. It's to the point where Paul would pray to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. If you get two people together that have both had a knee replacement, they have some good conversation, don't they? Because they know exactly what that is like. They're having fellowship together. They're sharing that suffering. When we go through suffering, it enables us to know what Christ has gone through in a greater way, if, if we're willing. So God will allow affliction, not because he's trying to destroy us, but because he actually wants us to get a greater view of Jesus. We often pray for this. Jesus, I want to know you in a greater way. And sometimes the answer to that prayer is affliction. Another reason that God allows affliction in our lives, that he appoints us for affliction, is because affliction refines our faith. It's how our faith grows. In 1 Peter verse 6, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, Though now for a little while, our trials are only for a little while till we go home to be with the Lord. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your faith is more valuable than gold. Gold perishes, but your faith is is eternal. Gold can't save you. Even though gold keeps going up and up in monetary value, in heaven, gold is what God uses to pave the streets. It's asphalt in heaven. It's a whole new economy. God's saying what's most valuable here on earth is just asphalt in heaven. Your faith is what saves you. We're saved by faith as we trust that Jesus died for our sins and and rose again. So it's important for us to realize that God will allow affliction in our life to refine and grow our faith. How we're responding to trial, it does reveal where our faith is at. When you take a test, if you're going to school, that test reveals how well you know the information, doesn't it? And a trial will reveal how much we trust the Lord. Lord, I thought I trusted you until I went through this trial. Until I went through this difficulty, it revealed that my faith needed to be strengthened. And and as God looks in his priorities, in his economy, he goes, Eric, I want to grow your faith. I want to refine your faith. I want you to trust me more. So I'm going to allow you to go through this difficulty to where our faith then becomes to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When, When Christ returns, our faith is to his glory. 
Affliction also grows our character. As much as I love reading a good book, books about the Lord, real godly character isn't normally birthed out of a book. There's good truth there, but that truth becomes formed into our very character through affliction, through trial, through, through difficulty. It's to the point where Paul would write and he would say, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that our tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Glory in tribulation, why? Because tribulation is working to produce perseverance, character, and hope, and hope doesn't make us ashamed. So a loving God could actually say, okay, it is good to allow this affliction so that there'll be growth in character, so that there'll be growth in hope. We're fascinated with eagles, aren't we? To the point where they're a national symbol, amazing to watch eagles fly, with the contrast of a blue sky. But how did those little eaglets learn to fly? Mom pushes them out of the nest. And when you watch videos on it, it's brutal. These little birds bouncing off cliffs. And, but then this amazing thing happens. They start flying. Well, most of them. <laughs> They'd never fly if it wasn't for that affliction of getting pushed out of the nest. Sometimes we're, we're not going to grow without God allowing affliction and, and difficulty in our lives. Affliction expands our impact. It expands our impact. In 2 Corinthians 1, we're told that we're comforted by God so that we can comfort others who are going through any trial. How do we become a comforter? By being comforted by going through difficulty. And this is effective in the life of believers where we get to comfort believers, but it's also effective with unbelievers. When we come alongside of unbelievers with the love and compassion that we've experienced with with our Father. So as we wrestle through affliction, it's important to look at the truth of Scripture and see how God's using affliction in our lives. In verse four, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we should suffer tribulation just as it has happened and you know. Number three, we're prepared for affliction. Prepared for affliction. Paul tells these new believers in those three weeks that he had with them, you're gonna suffer. All who live godly in Christ Jesus are gonna suffer persecution. There's going to be a price and a cost that comes for knowing Christ as your Savior. If you got sold a false bill of goods that once you decided to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, that your life was going to be on easy street, I'm sorry, but that's just not true. If you thought Amazon was going to send you cheesecake nine o'clock every evening because you're a Christian, I'm sorry, our beliefs don't line up with Amazon, right? Amazon's not going, woo, it's so awesome that you're, you're a believer. You're swimming upstream. You're, you're going against culture. 
Darkness doesn't like light. There's gonna be times where, yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's, there's tribulation because we're following Christ, but, but it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. There's also gonna be trials just because we live in a sinful world. Peter would write and say, don't think it's strange that some fiery trial has come upon you. But every time I think it's so strange when I'm getting my can kicked. Like, why is this happening? Why did I get a flat tire today? Uh, because there's nails on the road, right? But when it happens to me, it's like, I don't have time for this. I got a flat tire this week. I had a flat tire this week. <laughs> Personal, right? And I thought it was strange. I probably even said it. This is strange. I got a flat tire, nail, nail in the tire. It's really not that strange, right? I probably should be more surprised when there's no trial. I need to be a little more surprised, like, man, everything's going good, and I shouldn't be so surprised when there are fiery trials in this life. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. God wants us to be prepared for trials in this life as we look forward to eternal life. Our mindset tends to be that somehow we're going to be able to out-engineer difficulty in this life. That once we get to this other phase, there's going to be no trial. And it comes out in parenting. When our kids are little, I I just can't wait for them to be out of diapers. I can't wait to stop pushing a stroller. When they can shower themselves, feed themselves, oh, that's going to be so good. Then they get to the point where, yeah, they're out of diapers. Don't know how it happened, but it happened. They're showering themselves and they're feeding themselves, but we're not content in that phase and we're going, I can't wait till they can drive because I'm, I'm tired of being daddy taxi service, and driving everywhere from, from here. It, it's just gonna, it's gonna be so wonderful when they drive. And then they start driving and you start dreaming of being empty nesters. And we think, well, well, once we're empty nesters and our kids are out of the house, there's going to be no trial. There's going to be no difficulty and life is, is going to be easy. But, but wait a second. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have tribulation. I hate to burst your bubble. You're never going to be able to out-engineer trial in this life. Every season, every phase is going to have its difficulty. But Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. As we focus on heaven, how quickly we're passing through this life, how quickly we're getting to the second coming of Jesus, then we're encouraged by heaven. Heaven's the place where there's gonna be no trial and difficulty, but it's healthy for us to understand that there will be tribulation in in this life. In verse five, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. You'll notice how many times Paul's emphasizing faith as we go through this short chapter. Paul's aware that Satan is an opportunist, that Satan's gonna wanna come and tempt the church of Thessalonica when they're under affliction. Know this, when we're vulnerable, when we're weak, when we're under pressure, Satan is going to come and tempt us. 
And he's, wanna, he's gonna wanna erode our faith. What did Satan do to Eve in the garden? Has God really said? He was going after her faith. Her faith in God, her faith in, in the word. What protects us from the fiery darts of the enemy? The shield of faith, Ephesians 6 tells us. So if Satan can get us to the place where we're not trusting in the Lord, our shield is down and we're vulnerable to, to the attack of the enemy. He's gonna come to attempt us when things are, are difficult. This is why it's important when we are going through hard times to press into the Lord, press into the body of Christ. When we know a brother or sister in Christ is going through a hard time, that's when we press into their life because we know the tempter is going to come after them. We know that Satan's going to try to take advantage when they're weak. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us and we also to see you. Timothy comes back to Paul and says, man, they're, they're trusting the Lord. They're not abandoning the gospel. They're continuing to press in to, to the things of God. And this was such an encouragement to the apostle Paul. We're encouraged when we see other believers continuing to trust the Lord in the midst of difficulty. Not that it's not painful, not that they're not overwhelmed, but they're continuing to, to trust in the Lord. And that's what Paul expresses in verse seven. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul's also going through affliction. He's being persecuted in Athens. So when he hears that the church of Thessalonica is standing strong, it encourages him as well. There's that mutual encouragement that is taking place. We're racing, we're running, we're enduring together. Paul shows the heart of a father in verse eight. He says, we live if you stand fast in the Lord. There's no greater joy than seeing your children walk in truth. Verse nine, for what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God? Paul's enjoying thanking God for what God is doing in the life of the church of Thessalonica. Take joy in what God's doing in other people's lives. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Paul says night and day, I'm praying that we could spend more time together. This shows the depth of relationship. Do we have that kind of depth of relationship with fellow believers where, man, I can't wait to see you. It's so great to come on Sunday morning. It's, it's good to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. My small group is breaking for the summer and, and isn't meeting and, oh, I can't wait till we meet again in, in August. Hey, let's grab coffee together. Let's grab a meal together. Just long to spend time together. It's, it's depth of relationship. And when Paul gets together, he wants to perfect or make complete what's lacking in their faith. He wants to see the church of Thessalonica continue to grow in their faith. Once again, this shows the importance of faith. It shows the importance of trusting the Lord. God would want to, to grow what is lacking in our faith. 
Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Great prayer to to pray in our lives and for those that we love. May our God, our Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. God, would you direct our way? Would you open doors and, and close doors? Now may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Paul's prayer for this church that's doing well is that they would increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Sometimes in the business world, you hear about this phrase, having a growth mindset. It seems to be the death of a business if they no longer have a growth mindset. If they're at a place of, we've had a certain level of success and so we're just gonna maintain. The moment that decision is made, they're drifting to a death. It's just gonna dwindle over time and it may take 10 or 20 years, but they're basically saying, we don't want to to continue to grow. And it's important for us in our relationship with God to have a growth mindset, agreed? Like if we're at a place where we're like, you know, I've kind of gone far enough. I've, I've gone far enough in my relationship with the Lord. I've gone far enough in loving people. I really don't have a desire to, to grow in love. And here Paul's saying, again, this is to believers that are doing well. It's God's heart that you would increase, that you would abound, that, that you would overflow. God wants us to be loving him, loving others more a year from now than we are right now. He wants us to grow. And we never reach the ceiling. We never reach to the place where, okay, I've got love completely figured out. It's the overflow effect is we're enjoying God's love, abiding in his love, then that overflows into loving one another. Let's say hypothetically we took the next five years and really got deep into God's word, we're studying it, and after that five-year period, we actually loved people less. What did we really learn? We didn't get the message of God, even though we were studying the scriptures. If we're in the scriptures and we're spending time with the Lord, and at the end of that five-year period, five-month period, it doesn't matter how long it is, if we've grown in loving one another and loving people, we have got the message of God because God is love. So if I look at my life and do some self-evaluation through the help of the Holy Spirit and go, wow, you know what? I think love's actually diminished in my life. I think I'm actually loving people less now than I was a year ago, then that indicates something's off in my relationship with the Lord. Something's off in my heart. God wants to do some heart surgery. He wants to reveal some things to cause love to grow and expand. We all know we're living in interesting times and they're difficult times and they're dark times spiritually, but I think there's a lot of opportunities right now. The way that God reaches people is through love. Why is it so important that we love one another? Because through loving one another, the world will see that we're Christ's followers, that we're Christ's disciples. If we're not loving each other, they're not gonna see that we're 
followers of, of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if unbelievers were like, man, I want to be part of that community that you're a part of because you guys really love each other. You genuinely love and care for each other. A godly marriage between a husband and a wife is a display of Christ in the church. Our marriages can be a YouTube video of God's love. Your neighbors, your family members, unbelievers watching and going, man, I see the way that you, you love each other. And it points to something deeper. It points to, to Christ. The church of Thessalonica, the prayer is that they would love each other more, but that they would love all more. Isn't this a time where unbelievers need to know the love of Christ? Had the opportunity this week just to go camping, tent camping, love going tent camping. Our younger two kids were at kids camp, so Amber and I took our older two daughters and we went camping up by Buena Vista. And I just had a great time with people all week. And it reminded me about how cool people are. Because sometimes my heart can get kind of callous towards people. I met a guy in the campground who, he's going to be living in the campground all summer for, for 12 weeks. He, he booked it out for 12 weeks. I was like, where do you live? He's like, right here. And he was a, a man of means. He, he had finances but he was going through difficulty in his family. He was separated from his wife and kids. They were in California. He's in a campground in Buena Vista. And I just got to listen and hear his story. And we're leaving, packing up on Friday. And here this guy comes over to our campsite and he's like, good morning. I brought you guys some donuts, right? Bless the kids with, with some donuts. I just enjoyed spending time with him, hear, hearing his story. We were up at St. Elmo, ghost town, not far from Buena Vista, sitting with our dog. We have a Newfoundland. She's two years old, and a lot of people like our dog. I think more than I like my dog. <laughs> I'm just sitting with the dog on the bench in this ghost town, and here comes this older guy, and he sits down next to me, and Hannah, our daughter, had gotten acquainted with, with his wife and they were looking at things and so he just sits down and just began to tell me his life story. Just ask questions about his life and he's talking, 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 talking and unfortunately it didn't lead to an opportunity to, to share the gospel. But I just enjoyed spending time with him. I just enjoyed get, getting to know him, right? And I think I, I needed that. I needed that as like, Man, I just want to go out and love people. That's God's heart. That's who, who God is, right? As we go into a, a new week to be in that place of, Lord, I want your heart for people. Lord, would you, would you grow me in love? Would I increase and abound in love? Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The end of Paul's prayer is that they would have an established heart. Even in the midst of difficulty, Lord, I'm trusting you. My heart is not moving. Though you slay me, I will trust you. The Lord gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Heart that's established. A heart that's blameless. Not, not a heart that's perfect, but blameless speaks of 
Open accounts with the Lord, transparency with the Lord, not hiding anything, not walking in rebellion, but confessing our sin before the Lord and receiving his forgiveness to where we're at a place where we're ready for Christ's return. We're waiting and watching for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We don't know when it is, but there's gonna be a moment when Jesus raptures the church and takes us up to be with the Lord and to forever be with the Lord. He'll return on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. He'll rule and reign. Everything that has happened in the past and is currently happening and will happen in the future is culminating to Christ's return. How wonderful that that's gonna be. And we wanna be prepared. We wanna be ready for Christ's return. We wanna be that bride that's longing for Christ's return. We don't know when the rapture's gonna happen. We wanna be a bummer to be in the middle of sin when the rapture happens and thankfully God's going to take us home anyway but it's like oh that's bad timing you know (laughs) we want to be walking with the Lord we want to be walking in holiness before the Lord are you going through trial and difficulty this morning is this message fitting for what you're going through I want to take opportunity to pray with you and to pray for you, to pray that God would give you wisdom for your particular trial and difficulty that you're going through. James chapter 1 tells us that as we go through trial, if we pray and ask for wisdom, that God will give wisdom liberally to those who ask. Trials cause us to be overwhelmed and confused. We're promised God's comfort through him being our father. I want to pray for you this morning that God would give you his comfort, that God would meet you in the midst of, of this trial. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. I know it's, it's kind of hard to respond. I don't know what it is inside of us, but we hate raising our hand going, I'm going to admit that I'm going through a hard time. Well, God knows that you're going through a hard time. And we're with believers that are going to pray for you and, and pray with you. So let's give it over to the Lord. Let's cast our burden upon the Lord and allow him to sustain us. But here's the heart issue. Here's the heart issue. Is where's our faith in the midst of the trial? And will we trust God in the midst of the difficulty? And please hear me on this. Faith is not dictated by your emotions or my emotions. If we allow our emotions to drive our faith, there's going to be times where we feel like trusting God. But then there's going to be other times where our emotions tell us the exact opposite. You can choose to trust the Lord this morning, no matter what the circumstances. You can look at the cross Go, Father, you gave your son to die for me. I don't fully understand that love, but I receive it and enjoy it. And I don't understand this trial that I'm going through, but I trust your love that I don't understand, so I'm choosing to trust you in this trial. I know that you're good because of what you did for me upon the cross, so I'm placing my trust in you. We have to choose that. Choose to 
put our faith in the Lord, to put our trust in the Lord. There may be deliverance, there may not be deliverance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. What did they say to Nebuchadnezzar? We believe God can deliver us. If he wants to, he can deliver us. But if he doesn't, we trust him. But if he doesn't, we're not changing our decision. We're not gonna bow down to you. We're gonna trust, trust the Lord. And I know it's hard and I know it's difficult, but Lord, if my circumstances don't change, I trust you. I'm choosing this morning to trust you. And the interesting thing about this journey is then as we go to bed tonight, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you. So we wake up in the morning, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you. Because we're fickle creatures, aren't we? But God is that faithful refuge. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy. We don't understand why you allow affliction in our lives, that you appoint us for suffering at different seasons, but we do believe your word, that you're using trial in our lives. If you are going through a time of difficulty, would you raise your hand and just allow me to pray with you and pray for you? And for those of you at home this morning, you can raise your hand as well. Father, you know the struggle. You know the broken relationship. You know the financial difficulties. You know the hopelessness. Or do you know the physical challenges or health is failing? You know the fear of what the future might hold. You know the death of a loved one. You know it all. The rejection, the abuse. And Father, would you bring comfort? You are the Father of mercy and the, the God of all comfort. Would you comfort those that are in trial? this morning. You promised to give wisdom and we're asking for wisdom. Would you, would you give them wisdom for their specific trial, for their specific difficulty? Would you help them to not doubt that wisdom that you give, to, to not be double-minded? Would you choose to trust right now those that have their hands raised, just Declare to the Lord, I trust you. Say those words, no matter what your emotions are telling you. So Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.